Hey, Advisorist Nation, you're listening to the Advisorist Podcast, the most loved podcast for insurance and financial advisors worldwide that want to grow faster, increase commissions, and build a lifestyle you love. London to New York, Montreal to Munich, Austin to Australia. Shut down distractions, get focused, grab your notepad. It's time for Advisorist. Let's do this. Hi, this is Jeremiah Demery, founder of Advisorist, and it gives me great pleasure and really it's an incredible honor to introduce to you one of the hosts of the Advisorist podcast, Michael Levin. Michael is not only a personal friend, but he's one of the most established ghostwriters in the nation and a New York Times best-selling author who's written, co-written, or ghostwritten over 550 books, hundreds of them in the financial services arena, of which 18 are national bestsellers. There's, you would be hard-pressed to find somebody that hasn't been in more outlets than Michael. He's been on Shark Tank, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Politico, the LA Times, the Boston Globe, Writer's Digest, CBS News. I mean, the guy has even had his work optioned and made for film by Steven Soderbergh of Paramount, HBO, Disney, ABC, Frank Perry, and so many more. He ghostwrote for some of the biggest names in sports and business, including Dave Winfield, Pat Summerall, Howard Bragman, former Schwab CEO David Potrick, marketing legend Jay Abraham, NBA star Doug Christie, and the list goes on and on and on. And as the host of All Eyes on You, Michael will bring his unique blend of insights and wisdom as it relates to using books to get to the level of your dreams that you've always desired. They are one of the most powerful introduction tools that financial advisors and insurance agents can use today. I know when I got my book written, oh my, did the doors open up. And so that's why I'm so excited to have Michael hosting All Eyes on You as part of the Advisorist Network. Michael, take it away, my friend. My guest today is Rich Manders here on the podcast. And Rich is one of the co-founders of Freescale Coaching Systems. And Rich has identified the fact that for small businesses, which is to say anything under $25 million, and then for, for very large enterprises, over a quarter of a billion dollars, there, there are plenty of people and books and ideas out there to serve them. But there's sort of a forgotten middle class in the business world, and these are middle market businesses between 25 and $250 million, and they don't necessarily have the kind of guidance that they should in terms of growth and in terms of making the, the right decisions as they go forward. So Rich identified this as a, as a market niche that was underserved and he created Freescale to serve them. And Rich has had enormous success working with companies in that range and guiding them over a two to three year process to greater uh, profitability and uh, to move them past the uh, traditional barriers they experience. Rich, have I effectively uh, stated your case and what you do and whom you serve. Yeah, you can have a job in sales for us, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll take it. <laughs> nice, nice, nice job. Thank you. Yeah, Thank they, you. There's, there's a book that was written by this guy. His name is Doug Tatum, and it's called No Man's Land, which describes this place where, you know, the startup ecosystem, which especially here in Boston is very strong, but also in most major cities. And 
then when you get really big, you have access to, you know, the world's best consultants and strategists and so on. But in between those two spots, there's definitely a big gaping hole and the data, the data shows it's very challenging for a company to make it through those valleys of death that they go through on scaling up. Well, why is that? Why would the consulting industry leave behind a segment as big as 25 million to 250 million? It's really a function of how, so, you know, when you think about the big consulting firms, you're talking about McKinsey and, you know, and the like. And what you'll find is that, you know, they're looking for multi-million dollar contracts to put large swaths of people to work on a project. And the, the companies are in that 25 to 250 million. They don't have that kind of budget for that type of work. And so they're just not that interesting to the big consulting firms that are out there. And also, for some strange reason, most of the business books that come out somewhere in the order of 99% of them are either startup focused or big company focused, but there's very, very few in the middle that fit that, fit that piece. So how did you identify this in your own story? How did you find this? Yeah, story? well, by, by going through it myself a couple of times, actually several times along the journey, we found ourselves often lost, right? So getting to the spot where you have a business that it's that magical, uh, and for example, just to kind of give you a sense of the data that's there, altogether in the United States, there's 28 million firms. And of those 28 million firms, roughly only about 4% of them make it over the million dollar mark. And then when you get out to, to get to the 10 million mark, it's 0.4% of the 28 million. And to get to the $50 million mark, it's less than 14,000 companies out of the 28 million. And so why is that? Well, it was the same things that we faced scaling our business, which is we were entrepreneurs who started a business in multiple cases, and we got it to a certain size by sheer willpower and being you know, clever and working really hard. And what happens somewhere around that five to $10 million mark is you just, no matter how smart or good you are, you just can't do it alone anymore. You need to start to enlist new people into the fold who know how to do things and can do that work autonomously. You can't keep your hands on everything. And what happens in a business as it scales through these barriers is you keep hitting a wall on one side or the other. So one wall is leadership, right? Does the team know how to build and structure and drive a business at the next level up scale-wise? And in many cases, ours included, we were engineers who started a business and were learning about business by reading books and joining peer groups and things like that, but it just was very hard to, to learn fast enough. And so that's one barrier is we just don't know how to run a bigger enterprise and doing what we were doing, what got us there, won't work going forward. There's a great book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There by, I remember his name right now, but I'll find it. And Marshall Goldsmith. Marshall Goldsmith, that's correct. And what you'll find is that that is true in every business. What gets you to that first plateau will then be the exact same thing that will hurt you going trying to get to the next one 
Easy example, most times the founder, the CEO sells, right? They're out there selling in those early days. And what will happen is as the business gets to a certain size, the CEO selling is actually hurting the company because he is not spending or she is not spending the time to develop their people, to put together a a winning strategy, to drive the values of the organization, to be thinking where's the puck going to be, and developing relationships with and hiring people who are better than them at the things that the company needs, a skill set beyond what their skill set was. So every time they're on a sales call, they're not working on that stuff. That stuff has a multiplier effect. You hire a great head of sales to run the sales organization, that will free up lots and lots of bandwidth and create clarity in the business and make it a lot easier to grow and run. But the inclination is to stay back and go on sales calls. Okay, so I've got some clarity on the fact that you discovered this problem because you lived it. I just have to ask, what was the nature of the business or the businesses that you were running that went from zero to past 25 million? So the most recent one is a company called iAutomation. We started that business in 98. It's we originally was started in two locations in Hartford, Connecticut and Beverly, Mass. And we consolidated the operations in North Attleboro now. And along that journey, we grew that business from zero to a little under $100 million along the way. And that was in the automation business, specifically providing all of the engineering and components that go into building a high-tech automated machine. Okay. Today, so, the co- we sold the company uh, in 2017, in January 2017. And at that time, it was about 150 employees. And we had six or seven locations up and down the East Coast from Florida all the way through to Maine. It's pretty amazing. It was quite an interesting journey. And... You know, along that journey, we made plenty of mistakes, which we kind of joke that what we do in our practice is help other people do what we did only better and faster. Okay. So the, the focus of this podcast is on marketing and gaining attention for one's business. Mm-hmm. So the question is, what have you learned along the way, running your own business, businesses, and then as a consultant, what have you learned that would be useful to folks about what they should be focusing on as they right. do their marketing? Yeah, so I think the first part of the marketing question is is being really clear about who the core customer is and what's the value you're bringing to them. There's a, a bunch of great frameworks for figuring this out. Uh, Michael Porter has a bunch of ones that you can find online, along with a bunch of other folks that have thought leadership in that space. But essentially, it's creating a really clear picture of who the core customer is and what's the value proposition you're going to create for them? And then what are all the key activities that you have to get done right to make that happen? And then what are you going to do to back it up with a guarantee? So that's the first part is making sure that you have your messaging straight. And then the second part is to think one or two levels ahead about how this is going to work. So early on, most businesses start with somebody making a phone call or knocking on the door of what they perceive as a target customer and going through this dialogue of, we have something we think would be good for you. You know, Would you like to try it, test it, buy it, become our customer model? 
And what you'll find, and this is part of the reason why companies get stuck, is that at some point, you just can't do that fast enough or big enough to scale that out in an organization. You have to switch a model from being outbound marketing to driving inbound, right? So getting those messages really clear, figuring out how to spread them wide, figuring out how to make them viral so that you're, when your ideal customers are seeing the message, they're identifying with the value proposition that it's going to make their life easier in some way. You know, the staples easy button is always the word picture I use for, you know, how can you make it easy for me? And you get that model dialed in, then they see it and they call and say, hey, I want to learn more about what you're doing. And then they fall into the funnel that way versus roughly running a, you know, giant military operation trying to find the targets have conversations, drag them in the door. So that also happens somewhere around the 10 to $25 million mark is that you have to switch to a different messaging model as well as part of the strategy. How do you do that? Well, you start with the process of figuring out what it is that you, you know, what, who's a core customer? What are you doing different for them? And Another great book, I'm going to give you a bunch of them, is a book from Bob Bloom called The Inside Advantage, where essentially you discover who your core customer is, you come up with the specifically the problem they're going to solve, and then what are the imaginative acts that you're going to do to make make it special, right? And then and how do you back it up with a promise? Like one of the most well-known promises is what what's FedEx's promise? But it absolutely positively has to be there overnight by 10 a.m. or it's free, right? What's Domino's promise? It's something I think it's pizza within half an hour, even if we have to kill Correct. somebody to get it to your door. Correct, right? And so you build this whole business model, culture, et cetera, around people want fast, hot, delicious, right? That's Domino's model. And it's pretty much in that order. <laughs> and so they, they, they're laser focused on driving that through their business model. Everybody's incentivized and punished based on delivering on that promise. Everybody in the company's thinking they're going to do that promise. When FedEx started, no one had a clue how they were going to pull this off, but they kept sticking to this model, and little by little, they were able to come together and do this consistently. Anytime the package got there at, when the package got there at 10.01, it was free. And so that couldn't happen too much. So they had to figure out and build a whole infrastructure. So it's getting really clear about that messaging of who are you for, what problem are you solving for them, and then how how can you back it up with some kind of promise or proof that you can deliver on it. To what extent do you see companies that are vague or haven't even thought through at all who we are, what we serve, what our value proposition really is? Very often, very often, especially in that range so early on, right, so here's the other part that's the interesting part about the scaling. Early on, I believe that the founder has that in their soul, right? They, they get it. And when they're out selling it and making sure it gets delivered and everything, it's crystal clear. This is who we are. This is what we promise. And you have my personal guarantee. I'm going to make, make it happen, right? And that's how you get a business off the ground. And what happens is as you need more people out there, the distance between the CEO and their, or the founder and their intentions, and the front line grows, right? You have management layers and geographical distance and all of these things. 
And so if you don't have a crystal clear message about what you're driving, that and we've all played that game of telephone where you sit in a circle and one person you tell a story to, and by the time that goes around to half a dozen people and gets back to you, the story is completely different. Well, that happens in a business. You tell the top manager something, they tell the middle manager something, they tell the frontline manager something, and then the people on the front line hear something completely different by the time the messaging gets through. And so you have to build structures and rhythms and traditions that push this idea of what the company stands for and what, what the problem is they're solving and how, and how they're going to do it and who owns what in that effort constantly down. I tell the CEOs we work with that you have to repeat yourself endlessly if you want anybody to hear you. And it, there's a, a study, I think it's at least seven times before anybody hears a message that you're saying. And, and many times it's 10 times that or, or more. It's a little like parenting. Very much so like parenting. It, it also is like the Dennis Miller line that uh, the wife has to tell the husband something. The first time he wasn't paying attention and the second time he didn't believe it. So, right. So what I hear you saying is that before you can even think about marketing or getting attention for your offering, you have to be able to define it and then convey it internally so that everyone in your organization is on the same page and committed to living up to whatever that delivery process is. Right. And so, you know, in that journey of growing your business, you're going to keep bouncing up against these things. The leadership barrier, you know, do you have the right people in the right seats with the right skill set to drive and grow into their role? Then secondly is, do you have a strategy that's clear and has the value proposition at its center and all of the activities tie, tie it all together? And then do you have a business model that generates enough cash so that it can self-fund or is a very attractive investment to outside investors, right? And if you can, and all of those things as you grow, whatever worked won't work you know, along the journey and you'll have to rebuild it and change it. And then think about your structures and systems. One of my favorite stories, we have a very successful company that's in the software business, software as a service business. And the CEO always tells the story of how he built the business and he kept track of everything in an Excel spreadsheet. And he did this for 10 years. Right? Wow. Every, every month he's adding a new column to the spreadsheet and he got the business up to about 30 million in revenue running it with this spreadsheet. And one day, he went to add another column, and guess what happened? Excel said, nope, you've exceeded the maximum number of columns. <laughs> and so they essentially were out of business for about a month while they figured out how they were going to rebuild all this and change their accounting system and put in a CRM and do all these things that needed to be done, but you just patched it until it finally blew up. and if you're in business, think about what parts of your infrastructure, most companies that are growth oriented want to double every three to four years. It, it is kind of a semi-conservative for a growth company. And so just think about what parts of your business model that you rely on are going to fail when you double or triple the volume through them. What about your leaders? What about your, your infrastructure? Where, you know, what happens to these things? At some point, QuickBooks doesn't work anymore, which most companies run on. At some point, keeping your CRM in 
in a spreadsheet won't work anymore, et cetera. So those, you have the leadership needs to keep growing. Your systems, you have to consistently upgrade or they'll start to hurt you. And you have to keep morphing your strategy based on what's going on in the marketplace and how to keep it yourself fresh and in the eyes of the customer as a great value proposition. So what I hear you saying is that as important as marketing to the outside world is and conveying your message is vital, at the same time, you have to constantly look ahead and ask yourself, mm-hmm. am I conveying my message internally effectively? Do the system Correct. now, what got us here won't get us there. So before they break down, shouldn't I be thinking about them? And so the question becomes, how do you shift as a, as a consultant, how do you shift the mentality of the people you're working with from the present day, got to make the numbers, end of the quarter is coming, uh, I've got this crisis, I've got this hair on fire situation, to taking that longer view and asking, mm-hmm. is my marketing, is my team, is my message, are my systems effective, not just for now, but for where we want to be? So uh, history is the best teacher. Right. So anybody who's been in business for a while, you can just start with asking them a question. Tell me about a time you waited too long to change something. And they will have lots of stories. And some of those will be about people. Right. There's that adage. Right. You've never fired somebody too quickly. There's they'll have stories about the systems and structures and they'll have stories about, you know, suppliers or vendors that they relied on that just blew up when they got to a certain you know demand level. And so you can ground them in the history that this has already happened to them a few times on their journey. And it's going to be way worse when you're talking about solving a $100,000 problem is nothing like solving a $10 million problem. A $100,000 problem, you can find somebody in a hurry and patch something together. When you get to a $10 million problem, right, with your uh, $25 million plus company, $100 million company, it's likely that you have $10 million problems. You can't just patch them. When they blow up, they are not repairable easily. It takes months and years. Same with people. Hire amazing, great people takes a hell of a long time. You have to do a dance. The people that you really want aren't looking for a job. They have a job. They're happy. and You need to steal them away. And that's a courtship that takes a long time. So if you can point to the past and say, listen, here, you know, there, there's lots of evidence, personal evidence of how this has worked out. Now let's talk about how can we avoid this in the future by creating a map, creating a plan. And that's essentially what we're doing is in our model. We first, we make sure you've got the right people on the team that they're all aligned and rowing in the right direction. Then we look at, you know, what's the goal line? Where, where do we want things to be? Then we reverse engineer the strategy of how to get there with really clear maps of what's going to happen when along the journey. And a big part of it is if you look at it all at once, it's overwhelming, right? So many things are going to break and so many people we have to hire and so many things that need to change around here. You back that out and you say, okay, but what's the one thing that we should do first? And just work on that one thing each quarter or each week to until it's done. And then move to the next thing and to the next thing. And you will find that over time, it's amazing how it maps out. And by having the leader and his team map these things out, there's much less drama because they know, okay, we're going to get to a new CRM in 12 quarters from now. 
So we just got to keep this one going till then because we have more important things ahead of that. So to uh, take a Chinese proverb and update it, the best time to call Rich Manders in is is uh, 25 quarters ago, and the second best time is now. <laughs> That's very it may be true. Depends. It, it really depends, right? The uh, the other part of the equation is you really have to be committed to growth. And lots of companies, it's the the leader is not really that committed to growth. They're not willing to go through the challenges and pain to go for growth. And so that's the first test is, do you really want it? And are you willing to go through some of those hard decisions? Because chances are somewhere along the way, you, ha- you hired your college roommate who was once great, but now isn't. Or you've got you know family members in the business, or you're just married to the idea that like, you know, the way that I'm going to stay happy is by running everything and knowing everything in the company, then it's not the right time to call us. But if you have a growth goal that you're committed to and you don't really see the path of how you're going to get there, then we, we should have a conversation. Mitch, I, I, I was thinking about this as you were speaking earlier about the fascinating point that you made that how few businesses grow past $10 million. And mm-hmm. I think part of it, my thought as, as you mentioned that was that there's only so much money you can spend. And mm-hmm. if, you're a business owner and you get it to five or 10 million. First of all, at some point they're going to have to place you because you're mm-hmm. not the guy. But even before then, if I'm making five to, you know, if the business is, is, is grossing five to 10 million, then I'm probably taking home a few million. And if I'm doing that, I've probably got a pretty good middle-class lifestyle. So what do I right. need more for? Is that what you encounter? Uh, sometimes, sometimes. Uh, although the data really is that you, it's surprising how little entrepreneurs make. In the end, because the other challenge, as I mentioned in the, earlier on, is that the business, you know, the business sucks a lot of cash. And so you might see on your tax return that you're making a ton of money. But when it comes to your bank account, you're like, you know, making payroll can be challenging, even though the, the business is throwing off enormous profits because the money is needed to fund things like accounts receivable, a sales force ahead of the sale, inventory real estate, you know, all, all the things necessary to run a business. And so an, another part of the equation is how can we get this business to be self-funding and throw off more capital that can be used for growth or for the owner to have a safety net? So that's that's another piece that often gets overlooked in that journey. I'm, I'm finding the discussion about growth fascinating, but I want to tie it back to marketing. And the thing that I'm I'm hearing is that with the examples you gave, FedEx, Domino's, that maybe the thing that changes the least over the course of time is the marketing message, that once Mm -hmm. you've got that straight, it's really about how do you grow your company so that you can continue to deliver what's in the marketing message. Is that right? Correct. And also continually get better at it, right? So you want to be able to uh, deliver it at less cost, right? Figure out what, what parts of the process are wasteful so you can automate them or eliminate them. What are the parts of what you're doing that the customer simply just doesn't care about? And I think, you know, the, the last thing I'll, I'll say, you know, on the marketing message is one thing that anybody who owns a business needs to do is get out and talk to the customers. Have, we call it a four Q conversation, four questions. And it's really just, 
you know, how are you doing? You know, how's your business doing? What are your goals this, you know, period? And uh, how are you doing on them? What's going on in the marketplace? You know, what what are you hearing from our competitors and from your competitors that, you know, you need to address? And lastly is, you know, what could we do better as a business to serve you? And because the other part is that strategy isn't something that you figure out, put it in a drawer and it's done. It's constantly morphing with changes in demographics, changes in the economy, changes in the marketplace. There's a lot of people that got blindsided by Amazon or Uber or Airbnb or whatever, right, that just did not see this coming. And if you were talking to customers, you would know. I guess if you don't have that or two conversation with the client and the, or the customer, then at some point the customer is just going to say four Q to you. And that exactly. <laughs> yeah. They Sorry. vote, they vote with their dollars and they don't say goodbye. They're just gone. Exactly. Very last question. Uh, sure. how, can people, how can people get in touch with you and what will they find if they reach out to you? Sure. Uh, so we have a website. That's probably the best place to look. It's freescalecoaching.com. So all one word, freescalecoaching.com. And that has our contact information. Everything is there. And it also describes how our process works and what our philosophy is. And the name Freescale came from in our work as business owners and coaches. One of the things that we noticed was the more your company scaled, the less freedom you had. And I, I think, Michael, you've experienced that firsthand. And that's true. But for many people, it's like a jail sentence, right? It's, you know, more people, more demands, more cat, you know, more money, more everything, and not much reward, you know, in scaling the business. And we want to turn that around for people. Rich, I appreciate your time very much. Thank you for the insights and the wisdom and uh, your time. And uh, I hope the listeners got a lot out of it. Thank you. Yeah, I'll look forward to, I'll look forward to, let me know when it's posted. I will certainly do that. Thank you again. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Take care now. Bye-bye. Hey, Advisors Nation. Are you ready to take your insurance or financial services practice to the next level? And are you prepared to fill your calendar with high-quality appointments and bring so many leads that you get to pick and choose with whom you're going to work with? If yes, then be sure to check out Advisorist, a premium members-only community of insurance and financial advisors who are striving to excellence. Inside this community, you'll learn the strategies and tactics that most successful service providers are using, and you'll be able to implement them and see results faster than you ever thought was possible. Get all of the details here at advisorist.com forward slash membership. That's advisorist.com forward slash membership advisorist.com forward slash membership. We'll see you inside. You could be larger.